The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who plays better when we're facing elimination. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And it is Wild Card Wednesday. Yeah, that is an interesting concept. What is the concept of, of an elimination pod waking up and trying to stave off the end of this podcast? Don't worry. This is this podcast is way beyond double elimination. It'll take a lot more to get rid of us. And on this fine Wednesday morning, we'll be recapping all of the game ones in the wild card series. You will hear from us again, uh, likely at the conclusion of the wild card round, regardless of whether or not they are all sweeps or all go three games. So that'll be the next time you hear from us. But because our regular Monday, Wednesday. Friday schedule works well for this week. We are going to roll with it. Jake is in Philadelphia. He is tired. He watched the Phillies and Marlins. I will say, though, you could have been more tired. Shouts out to the pitch clock, which we will talk about. Um, we will uh, we will recap all four. We're very straightforward. And then at the end, if we have time, I will give you 90 seconds on what Jerry DePoto said yesterday. I don't want to do it, but everyone's talking about it, so we will do that. Before we begin, make sure... You subscribe to the show. It helps it grow. Send us emails. Baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That is B-A-R-B cast. Okay. Before we get into specific games, I want to just touch on the nature of a three-game set. It is insane. It is hilarious. Because yesterday, we had eight baseball teams roaring to go, amped to get this long journey started, right? ready for a month, hopefully, of postseason baseball. And then a couple hours later, in some cases two hours and five minutes or whatever later because of the pitch clock, the vibe had shifted. Seeing Tampa particularly go from we won 99 games, we're starting at home, to oh, if we lose tomorrow, we're done, is remarkable whiplash. Yeah, and as we pointed out on Monday, it's better than one game. But because you have this series ahead, you you have these grander plans because you know you can't be eliminated on the first day. And as you mentioned, no matter whether you won 99 games or 84, every team is putting out the hype video, right? Every team is putting out the like, here we go, right? And they have a full two days to put out those tweets to get the fan base amped, right? And then, as you mentioned, half of the fans are going to sleep last night being like, holy shit, our season could end tomorrow. <laughs> so, And the other ones are just like, oh, man, we get to build all this momentum and we're about to have the most fun month of our lives. So let's begin down at America's ballpark, Tropicana Field, the home of the Dome, the Rangers hopping on that transnational is that the word i want it was a long ass freaking flight <laughs> from seattle a journey a journey from seattle it was a it was a haul from seattle mm-hmm. to tampa bay to take on 
the Rays in game one. We had Jordan Montgomery going for Texas. We had Tyler Glasnow going for Tampa. And the first five innings went pretty much as you would expect. Jordan mm-hmm. Montgomery was outstanding. Mm. He was fabulous. He was superb. He was everything that Texas ever could have dreamed he would be when they traded for him at the deadline. And Glasnow was typical Tyler Glasnow, striking out a lot of guys, you know, brief bits where he just had zero idea where the baseball was going, but dominant enough through the early going, avoiding, like, the reason that Tyler Glasnow is worth it in the postseason, right, is if he gets into trouble and has walks the bases loaded, he can just strike people out whenever he wants, more or less, right? And that allows him to get out of jams, whereas a more contact-heavy pitcher, you're going to allow some runs and some sack flies. I know he kind of did that as well. However, totally fine start for the Tampa Rays. And then everything changes, Jordan Schusterman. Everything changes with runners. What was that on? First and second and no outs. I believe it was in the sixth inning. Yep. Top of the sixth, Evan Carter and Marcus Semyon draw some walks as lead off the inning. That is when Tyler Glasnow Mm. finally gets replaced after his fifth walk of the game. But the Rays defense had already been demonstrating some, some cracks earlier on, some very uncharacteristic moments from the Rays defenders. However, the defensive miscue we saw in the sixth, I would characterize as characteristic of Jose Siri, who was just added to the postseason roster uh, yesterday, or, or made the postseason roster, I should say, after he had been out with an injury for at least some time. And he charges in on a Corey Seager regular single with zero outs and first and second. And not only does he kind of overrun it and botch the stopping of the baseball, he proceeds to pick up the baseball and chuck it with his 80-grade arm over the third baseman to allow two runs to score. A free souvenir for a lucky fan right behind the dugout. Jose Suri, it, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, Jordan. He is baseball cocaine, and sometimes, actually often, that's a bad drug for you, okay? Yeah. It is exhilarating to watch Jose Suri play baseball. It opens up a glimpse to another realm of what could be. However, it is playing with fire. Watching those used to replay baseball is like how cavemen felt with fire. They're like, this is sick, but it will murder us all. And the yeah, the best and worst part is that this has been true since he was in rookie ball. Like, and he, because he is so freakishly physically talented and has gotten his act together enough to be a somewhat reliable regular major league player with Tampa over the last couple of years. He has put himself in position to have the Rays trust him to be starting in center field in this first postseason game, right? So credit to him in that case. However, as you mentioned, that is still the the wildness, the volatility is always lurking and a play and a moment like that is just devastating because Jake, not only is it an embarrassing miscue, which I, which I believe was the Rays' third or fourth error of the game. Third and fourth error of the third game. Third and fourth. Good point. Uh, <laughs> that's a great point. Um, the Rays' offense, combined with Jordan Montgomery being offense uh, being off- awesome, made four runs seem like 40 runs. Right. 
And the two nothing deficit that they took into the sixth inning was like, okay, like, I don't know if you know about this, the Rangers bullpen kind of shaky. And at that point, you still think maybe Jordan Montgomery is going CG because his pitch count was so low. But you're like, okay, two runs. The Rays, the Rays can score two runs. They scored way more than two runs during the regular season, right? 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 But that 4 nothing with the way they'd been swinging and with the way Montgomery yeah. was throwing was just so deflating. The second Jose Suri threw the ball into the crowd, I'm surprised that 19,000 people didn't die because it sucked the air right out of that dome. That was yeah. basically it at that moment. The Rays failed to score a single run off of the Rangers' vaunted bullpen and take the fat L4-0. to zero. Yeah. Let's quickly talk about the attendance thing. Mm -hmm. It was the smallest postseason crowd since 1919. On this show, we do not like to attendance shame. There are more, re way bigger reasons than mm -hmm. the the intensity of one's fandom mm -hmm. that send people to the ballpark or keep them away. Location, mm -hmm. the relationship between the organization, the city, trust, the entertainment level. All of these things are re the, the affordability of the ballpark. Right? It's Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> okay. I don't give a shit. That it is Tuesday afternoon. I'm that just, is irrelevant I'm, to me. Okay, so oh, all right, that, never mind. Make. That's not a reason. I apologize. Not a good <laughs> I'm reason. Not, okay, not a good reason. Tuesday afternoon for not packing your place for a postseason game is not an excuse. And here's why: the the other cities did it. I know there was a little bit later, like Minnesota packed the place. Right? We have seen teams pack the place. The Rays have had better home crowds than this at similar time slots. Like totally. Teams bring get people out for the bigger spots, no matter when the games are. I would love for somebody from Tampa to explain to me like I'm an idiot, which maybe or I from St. Petersburg or from St. Petersburg, why this was the case, why people didn't show up yesterday. I the where I here's where I fall on it. The why matters, but in this case, it doesn't because it is such a bad look. It really is a bad look to announce a new ballpark. Right. And then like two weeks later, not get to 20,000 people at a postseason game. It is to me, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to see it, doesn't make a sound. Like if you have 90,000 people out of the postseason game at a wildcard game, what's the point of this all? Right. Like, aren't you playing for the people to have these moments? And it's also just, it was very odd to me. Maybe I'm being insensitive about this, but I just and I don't want to sound like a basic dodo who's like. You don't like your team enough. Come to the ball yard. I know yeah, there are other You reasons. sort of sound like that, but I, I don't I don't I also don't disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, like I just it's just not good. Like I know there yeah. are reasons and maybe it's not fair to, to totally mm -hmm. get on them I for agree. this. I maybe I just need to be educated on this as to why it happened. But just to see and it was also like maybe again, I'm I'm warped. Like I was in Philly last night. It was like a freaking you know, totalitarian political rally is incredible. And so like to see 46,000 people, 45,000 people in, in Milwaukee or whatever, and then like 39 in Minnesota, because that's their capacity. And then like 10 in Tampa was just jarring and confusing and abnormal, right? It is different. And I think that's why it is worth kind of sticking on it for a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Well, and also, right. It's like they've 
been in this is the fifth straight postseason. Obviously, some of those postseasons were not <laughs> fan friendly and had far fewer than nineteen thousand people. But I agree with you, and and of course, the other part with the new stadium is like they're building it in the same place, and so if you want to. You know, harp on that element of it too. That was definitely disappointing. So yeah, it's it's. I agree. I think the basic thing is it's less about you know shaming the race fans and more about just trying to understand Correct. why this is happening and that it is not a good thing for baseball, who had been flaunting attendance across the league all week because of the new rules and all those things. And I know it's different in every market, but like I'm I am with you on that. No, obviously I can't. I'm just trying to like the Tuesday afternoon thing, all this stuff, like all these things combine to make some level of difference. And when yeah. it is already a place that is clearly susceptible to having small crowds, every additional 500 people that aren't there is a significant yeah. number. Uh, last point, like you say, having the Tuesday afternoon game, you think ESPN and MLB are looking at this and be like, okay, well, we'll give them the night slot next time. Absolutely not. This is the, what you get. This is how yeah. it goes yeah. uh, for today and tomorrow. How are you feeling about the Rays' chances to turn this yeah. thing around? No, it was super, super disappointing. I, I was really confident with them. I think that the, <laughs> the Rays literally delivered the performance we expected from Texas in a lot of senses. Very sleepy, very, you know, deflated, all these things. But here's the thing, man. Like, Jordan Montgomery dominating is not – I that did not stun me. It was more of just the, of the how bad Tampa looked than – on top of that offensively and you know glass now was was good not great and then you know ultimately you know chapman and leclerc chapman listen you, when you call the bullpen phone you bring chapman in there is a chance he comes in and is throwing one-on-one and looks awesome like that is a thing and, and that it's that happened there but the the raise offensive Cuban attitude to that point certainly contributed to how good he looked yes i think i picked the raise in three I think I picked Montgomery to dominate yesterday in the race mm-hmm. to battle back and take it. Mm-hmm. So I have still have faith in this team. I think this offense is better than it has been in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. And the quality of opposing pitching is about to go downhill. I like uh, I like the matchup just for Tampa because Eflin, Eflin's been fantastic. You know, we could all make fun of, oh, wow, this is your biggest free agent in franchise history. Like, he's been fantastic. He also throws a lot of strikes. And... Evaldi's just not been very good. The stuff just hasn't been the same. So unless he's going to kind of unlock some next postseason level, we've obviously seen Evaldi be amazing in the postseason. It's more of just like his physical stuff's just not been the same for months. So if that's the case, I think Tampa can take advantage. But man, credits to Texas for for showing out there. But that's that's all Jordan Montgomery. He really, he really, really, really shined. So very impressive stuff for them. So that's game one. Uh, let's move on to our second game. Anything else with Texas and Tampa? No, sir. Let's walk into the junk food aisle and open a bag of Twinkies as the Minnesota Twins mm. take game one of the AL wildcard series three to one over the Toronto Blue Jays is snapping the streak. The streak is dead. Long live the streak. Their first postseason win in a game since 2004. They showed highlights on the broadcast. And you knew it was a long time ago because it was it looked like it was shot with a Motorola razor and the camera quality was subpar. <laughs> it's 2004. It's not the, you know, 1974. But yes, I agree. Our perception of these things is totally warped. Quick pop quiz, Jake. I retweeted this, but I don't know if you saw it. Who now has the longest postseason oh. losing streak 
in Major League Baseball. Do you know? I do know Jordan Schusterman. Yes. And the number. It is VV Angels Angels Anaheim Anaheim. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. Postseason losing streak. Not drought. That's a different thing. Different thing. We're talking about two different things. Yes, the Angels and Tigers. That's the Mariners conversation, okay? That's the conversation we had last year when the Mariners broke the drought. Yes, Angels and Tigers, longest postseason droughts. No, no, no. Postseason consecutive games lost. Toronto? Yes, Toronto and Tampa and Cincinnati, weirdly, are tied at six. So long way to go. Long way to go. Uh, and it's fall- funny, too, because, you know, two of those teams got there yesterday. So <laughs> they could, we'll see if they extend it to seven. But anyway, Minnesota, they have done it. L18, no longer. It is now a W1 in the postseason for the Twins of Minnesota. And before we get to the specific game, I think I wrote a little bit about this in my intro to the recap at Fox. It was very clear when Pablo Lopez arrived in the Johan Santana jersey, the jersey of not only his idol in Venezuela, but also the pitcher who last won a Twins postseason game, that this was not a matter of ducking this streak and this skid. This was a matter of embracing it and saying, hey, wouldn't this be fucking cool if we broke this streak? We talk about Bruno. We talk about it. And we will tell Bruno, no mas, no my mas, friend. Bruno. We are going to win this baseball game because we are the Minnesota Twins. We are good at baseball. And Pablo Lopez, this fantastic quote after the game. Without pressure, there is no expectation. Pressure pressure is a privilege. Just understanding that mentality, using it in our favor. You always want to feel some pressure because that means there's an opportunity to do something amazing. I felt it. I acknowledged it. I accepted it. And then I put it on my shoulders and tried to go with it. Mm, Pablo Lopez, let me tell you, (laughs) I wrote about Twins pitching. I know, right? I wrote about the Twins pitching uh, going into the series, um, a piece I enjoyed. But my favorite part about it was just talking to Pablo Lopez for 10 minutes. Not, you know, a fraction of the quotes made into the story, but what an incredibly insightful, smart, passionate person in this game of baseball. And I didn't even talk to him about anything involving the streak at all. Just talked to him about pitching and how much he loves being in Minnesota and how much he's loved embracing and getting better there and all the, why he loves the analytics and wants to know why he's doing any pitch and all these things like just such a and on top of just being like the nicest human ever. And Pablo Lopez did his thing, man, pitching into the sixth. I know the line isn't overwhelming, you know, only three strikeouts, two walks, but only allows one run. And the Twins defense, unlike the Rays defense, was balling out in this game. I want to get to the Correa play in a second, but shouts out to Michael A. Taylor, first of all who made two tremendous catches, one coming in earlier in the game, and then later on uh, a catch at the wall to rob Matt Chapman and maybe keep the lead uh, preserved. But the Carlos Correa play, which I don't know if you saw this. Uh, this was earlier on in the game. You, I, I'm actually glad that you are going to watch this now for the first time. This is one of my favorite defensive plays I have ever seen. Okay, so this is the top of the fourth inning. You have the Blue Jays uh, have runners on first and second. I'm going to give Jake time to, to find this play. Uh, first and second with two outs. Bo Bichette is on second base. And Kevin Kiermeyer chops one to third towards Jorge Polanco, who, of course, has not played that much uh, third base this year because it's been a lot of Royce Lewis. He's been played more recently, but whatever. So he charges in on the ball, and he misses the scoop. And when he misses the scoop, Bo Bichette, who is on second base, realizes 
oh, there's no one, like no one's getting that ball. Like I'm going home. He hesitates briefly at third when he first gets there, but he's like, oh, I'm going. And I got to say, Boba Chat, hell yeah. This is exactly the kind of base, like this is absolutely the right move. And when you see the behind home angle, you totally understand. You're Boba Chat, like, oh, there's no one anywhere near this ball. But Carlos Correa, who began this play near second base, and even when the ball gets past Polanco, is still basically standing flat-footed. It's not like as soon as the ball was hit, Correa was ranging over to back him up. No, Correa is standing flat-footed. But the second, the microsecond, the ball gets by Polanco, Correa, with what might be his top sprint speed of the entire season, <laughs> bolts over, picks up the baseball, and delivers a perfect off-balance throw to home plate to get Bo Bichette and end the inning. And it was just like, holy shit level instincts, holy shit level execution. A reminder of not just that Carlos Correa is a gifted defender, even in his physically compromised state, but also that this dude has played in 5 billion postseason games and no <laughs> weird situation is going to take this guy, uh, you know, is, is going to rattle him. 80th, this was his 80th postseason game for Carlos Correa. Just watch this play. Incredible. Reminds me of the Manny Machado pump fake play just from yeah. uh, just where the pieces on the chessboard are, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the one thing to get over there. It's another to make the throw. It's remarkable stuff and par for the course for Carlos Correa. Speaking of poise, <laughs> let's talk about Royce Lewis. Let's do it. Royce. R-O-Y-C-E, although he didn't play enough to win Rookie of the Year. But <laughs> I think it would have been interesting had he been healthier for much of the season. All due respect to Gunnar Henderson. But this man, this wow, this player. Now, it's funny because a lot of the tweets are like, oh, man. It's like he was the number one overall pick. Okay? Yes. This talent has never been in question <laughs> at a <laughs> single moment. Where'd he come from? Where's whoa, whoa, from? who is this guy? It's like, no, 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 he's, he was he was 1-1, one, one, okay? And not just that, he was the Twins' best player for at least a couple months this year when he was playing, right? He was easily their best hitter. And then in a couple weeks ago, he goes down with a hamstring strain, which is something he was dealing with earlier in the year. It's like, oh, God, here we go again. Like, I mean, undeniably and tragically so, here we are with another incredibly gifted Twins player who cannot, you know, stay on the field. And it sucks, right? And Byron Buxton not on the postseason roster because he's still injured, whatever. Um, but there was optimism. Okay, he's going to come back. But even as recently as Monday at the workout day, he was like, you know, I don't want to be a hindrance to the team. Like, I know I'm not at 100%. Like, I'm going to give it my all. But it seems like he had a good workout. He goes in the lineup as the DH, batting third, and becomes the third player in baseball history to homer in his first two postseason at-bats. Joining Gary Gaetti. 1987, who goes on to win the World Series with the Minnesota Twins. And yeah. Evan Longoria, yes. who is a main character in the show we'll talk about later. Yes, we will get to him with the Brewers and Diamondbacks. But um, not just that he hits two home runs, two very different home runs, right? He yanks one, pulls one down the left field line, absolute laser. He gets a towering drive to right field, which is what you need to do if you're going to hit a home run at target field with those weird dimensions and weird fence configurations. Royce Lewis delivers all the uh, you know run support that the Twins pitching staff needed. The Jays' offense was 
No bueno. I guess they had, you know, they had guys, you know, two for nine runners in scoring position. Eventually, Kiermaier gets a run late. But um, this was not, I mean, I guess Bichette and Guerrero had three of the six hits. And the Twins only had five hits. That's the other thing about this. This is why the Royce Lewis homers were so important. Because honestly, Gossman wasn't that bad. Like, he he threw two really terrible pitches to Lewis. And his command was, eh. Other than that, pretty good. They used five relievers. Those guys kept the game, you know, close. Like, the Blue Jays pitching generally did their job. And the Blue Jays offense, especially at the top, you know, Springer 0 for 5. Biggio batting 5th, going 0 for 4, right? Chapman had some good swings and was batting 8th. I imagine he will not be batting 8th today. Um, just a weird game. And and I felt that the energy in general was way going to be in Minnesota's favor no matter what. We wondered, oh, would the fans be nervous? No, it was the opposite. They were having a great time. The, all the stuff written about the target field atmosphere yesterday was amazing. It translated on TV. So fun. So cool to see that atmosphere. Uh, and, and yeah, it was, it was a really, really cool moment for them. And, and, and just a reminder of, of how good, uh, Minnesota is. I think, uh, you know, again, five hits is not great, but I was really impressed with them yesterday. And now they got Sonny Gray going to game two against Jose Barrios. Oh, what a moment for Jose Barrios, who had been one of those pitchers that had lost two postseason games, uh, in the past few years for the twins. But now he's back trying to keep his season alive against them. Did you see the the quote from Sonny Gray's kid? <laughs> I did. Yes, this is good. This is good. Sets up game two. So uh, go ahead. I'm trying to find it. Did you? I, I, you I mean, it? I I can I can basically <laughs> paraphrase. This is from Dan Hayes. Basically, uh, you know, Sonny's given his. I got it here. Day before it. day before presser, and his he has a few cute kids, I believe. Yeah. Sonny Gray's five-year-old son, Declan. Dad, is it the playoffs? Sonny, yeah, it is. Declan, then you better not lose. That is a Magic Johnson-ass take if I've ever heard one. (laughs) Hey, but, I mean, is he wrong? I will say, less important than it was when he said that. (laughs) Now that the Twins have uh, a 1-0 lead. (laughs) You can lose today. Yeah, you can lose today. It's fine. It's like, we got got Joe Ryan going tomorrow. Are you up 1-0 with... Joe Ryan, who looks totally rejuvenated going tomorrow against. Uh, but I think Bassett. It'll be Bassett. Bassett? Yeah. Yeah. Then you don't have to win today. <laughs> don't um, worry about it. Good. Don't worry about it, Dad. Uh, the Jays. So let me say this, Jordan. Have you ever said something and immediately regretted it? Uh, in yeah. Your life? Yeah. yeah. Probably way less than me. <laughs> it seems like a safe bet. Yeah. But it's happened. I it happens think, to me. I'm human. Yeah. I think. What the second I turned on the Jays Twins game, I was like, "Did I pick the Jays to win this?" <laughs> I like, and I did not. To be clear, like I did not have that feeling when I saw the Rangers up and I picked the Rays, or you know, I did pick the Diamondbacks. But when, like when the Brewers went up, I was like, "Oh no, no!" Like I still. But when I just saw the Blue Jays, yeah, on television, yeah. I was like. The twins are passing this energy on to them. Like they are now holding the wet fart postseason torch. I mean, yeah. And listen, Until there's all kinds notice. of franchises that are that are holding some. And I was thinking about this too, right? You know, we end the Mariners drought, we end the Twins drought. What is it now that we are? What is the one in baseball that is that is most dominant? And we can, you know, that's a, probably a conversation for the offseason. But uh, the point is, is I I agree with you. Like I just and, and I think I said this in the preview, like. There was part of me that looks at the Jays roster and does think like, okay, if they turn it on, fine. But it's the same thing as with the Padres. It's just like, I haven't seen it. 
And I know they played their best baseball in September, but even then it didn't feel like they were actually really heating up at any real moment. They would always deliver a real stinker. Now maybe they'll they'll bounce back today. Um, we're never going to bury teams in this situation. But I agree with you. Like This was just a version of a Blue Jays game that I feel like I've already watched so many times this year. So it did not come as a particular surprise, but maybe they will prove us wrong in game two. As we mentioned, Jose Barrios against Sonny Gray. Jake, let's take a break at the midway point here. And when we return, we will talk about the chaos that was Arizona and Milwaukee. And then, of course, you will recap your experience at Citizens Bank Park, Game 1, Phillies and Marlins. Hey, everyone. Producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official baseball barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this post. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman getting wild, wild. Thanks. Oh, For yeah. the wild card round, we have talked about the American League first because we are proud Americans. And now we will discuss the National League because like Jake Alou, we are proud nationals. And we will begin at American Family Field, <laughs> Miller Park in Milwaukee, where the Brewers Hosted the Diamondbacks in the 3-6 matchup. Mm. It was Corbin Burns, the 2021 Cy Young winner against Brandon Fott, the 2021 life liver <laughs> in what appeared to be an imbalanced pitching matchup. However, Corbin Burns in his current state is not quite what you think of Corbin Burns being, especially in that Cy Young season. He has very, very slowly declined in some ways since winning that award. He's still a very good pitcher. He's still probably one of the best 10 to 15 people on the planet paid to throw a baseball. He is not in the top five anymore. And that was a little noticeable in this matchup. But let's start at the beginning. Brandon Fott. Shaky out the jump. Well, I think we should start even before that with a different Brandon related to the Corbin Burns conversation, which is that since we last spoke, we got the news that Brandon Woodruff would be out for likely the entire postseason with a shoulder injury. He had been dealing with shoulder injuries earlier in the year. And that's relevant because for those, you know, people who really want to have a, a hot take going into the season, it was like, but I smart people who I agree with. And I think I even said this to some degree is like, is Corbin Burns the Brewers' third best starter because of how good oh. Woodruff and Peralta had been? I don't know if that's true. But either way, that's how we thought about Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta, the game two starter. And so that really immediately cast a strange spell combined with the Brewers' roster in general, which had some very strange decisions, including bringing back Jesse Winker, who hasn't played since July, leaving off Rowdy Telez as bad as he's been was kind of a stunning thing. Putting on Owen Miller, leaving off Garrett Mitchell, whatever. It was just like, this Brewers roster was weird. The lineup was a little strange. Okay, 
But still, it's like we're facing Brandon Fathis. He's a rookie. He's got a six ERA. We're at home. Like, we're feeling good. Corbin Burns is still a really good pitcher, right? And then on top of all that, what's the score 30 seconds into the game? Three nothing Brewers, right? Yeah. And it's like, that okay, plus- this is going to be a runaway train. And then it was like, the, this train does not have that much more gasoline in it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, the the Brewers home night game from a tailgating perspective at that park, that must have been quite a scene outside. But you're right. So they go up early and it's like, okay, let's see how the snakes respond. Let's see what they do. And who but Corbin Carroll Mm. with a runner on base, Corbin Carroll (laughs) launches one to a part of the ballpark that you don't often see baseballs go to in Miller Park, kind of the upper deck overhang in deep red center field. When I wrote my extensive feature on Corbin Carroll's high school career earlier this year around the All-Star break, one of the things that everyone who saw him in high school said was that the power was different and special and far beyond what you would expect. That Corbin Carroll would make contact with a baseball and that the baseball, you would have kind of an understanding in your head of how far a ball should go when it comes off a bat. And for whatever reason, whether it be, you know, the strength of his wrists or his bat speed or the way he creates backspin, the ball just goes when Corbin Carroll hits it. And as he was coming up through the minor leagues and the big question was, will he hit for enough power? A lot of these people who saw him in high school, who are understandably biased somewhat, were like, he will hit for power. Like this guy is going to hit home runs. It's He just will. And it wasn't just that he homered in that spot yesterday. It was how freaking far that thing went, man. It was crazy. 444 feet, second farthest home run of his young career. And it looked it. I mean, it looked like it went even farther than that. And it was the first time I've seen him pimp a home run as a major leaguer, as he He, should, right? (laughs) He almost like remember, he like wanted to pimp it and then remembered that he was Corbin Carroll and that he is is the uh, generational descendant of Jeter Trout boringness. But it was it was also kind of both. Like it was also he hits it and like the way that he swings and like the dismount kind of puts him already in a position to start running. But he yeah. did take a moment to kind of stand up straight and start walking. And then to your point, then he's like, oh shit, no, I'm still Corbin Carroll. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's a great point because he's like falling out of the box towards first. And so for him to for most players, they have to start running. For Corbin Carroll, he has to stop running to admire a home run. And I guess that in that way, he was taking a look at it. He did. So that made yeah. that made the score what? It was three to it was two. Three to two. Three to two. And then was it the first pitch uh, yes, from Kettle Marte, pitch. I believe? Uh so Kettle Marte comes up and then it's just bam. Uh I ain't waiting around. I'm taking this 95 mile an hour cutter down the middle, and I'm gonna hit it to a very similar spot. And suddenly it is three to three. Now it's three to three. We go to the bottom of the third, and it's like, all right, we just gotta, we're just gonna keep Brandon fought in there. Like, you know, we tied the game up. Like, we gotta get some length before we turn this over to an Arizona bullpen featuring people nobody's ever heard of. And so he strikes out Canna. You know, Fralick gets on. Adamus doubles. Donaldson flies out. And now here comes Bryce Terang, a lefty who's been really bad, but we still want the matchup. So we go to Joe Mantiply, and this begins a parade of D-backs relievers. That truly was one of the more impressive 
performance of randos I've seen in the postseason in quite some time. We will give credit to each and every one of them. But Joe Mantiply comes in, ends the inning. And then from there, it was D-backs were feeling good. Be fruitful and Mantiply. I want to mm. talk about no schmo Joe for a quick second. Because in 2022, Joe freaking Mantiply was the only Arizona Diamondbacks all-star. The only Arizona Diamondbacks all-star. Not to say that this is the 1927 Yankees or the Showtime Lakers, but now they are a real baseball team. The type of baseball team that does not just send Joe Mantiply to the all-star game. And so I am happy that he got to be the first link in the chain. I agree, but it, it, that the other funny part is it's like Joe Mantiply has not pitched like an all-star this season. No. He had been very good in 21 and 22. This year, he was not one of their more reliable relievers, but they went with the matchup. They knew they would have many more matchups to come. It's not like they're like, all right, Joe, you're going to finish this one out in the fourth inning. But in the top of the fourth, that's when things really swing because Gabriel Moreno, who we are both quickly becoming quite fond of as the franchise catcher of the Arizona Diamondbacks, says to Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte, Hold my beer that I've only been able to legally drink for a couple of years. Watch this. And goes kaboom on a Corbin Burns slider to left field in one of the more impressive displays of power from a catcher. Gabriel Moreno has been a solid hitter this year, but the power you've really only seen in, in, in moments, in moments. He only hit seven home runs during the regular season. He hit 284, which is very impressive for a 23-year-old catcher. But it's in there. The thump is in there. It's going to be about actualizing it. And for him to deliver that swing there was such a big, even with a one-run lead, now we're going back and forth. And now the Brewers' bullpen is having to, to kind of hang on for dear life, which they do. Um, and Milwaukee, you know, gets, gets a run back later against Ryan Nelson. Now it's, uh, you know, it's four to three here. But what happens is <laughs> Devin Williams comes in with the Brewers' already losing. And this is a moment in any baseball game, but certainly in a postseason baseball game, that is one where it's like, yes, you want to keep the game close and bring in your closer. But when it backfires, it is one of the worst feelings you can possibly have as a fan in the postseason because it has the double effect of, oh God, we made this game worse with our best reliever. And, oh, God, how does this make us feel about Devin Williams tomorrow if he has to actually close out a game? Now, obviously, they're still going to go to him uh, if they are leading today. But, like, it's just a sequence. He throws 31 pitches that is just so devastating um, for a team, especially in the postseason. Allows two runs. Diamondbacks take a 6-3 lead. Paul Sewald comes in in the ninth and closes it out. And the Snakes... Are hot, Jordan. Before we move on from this one, yeah, I would like for you to shout out and honor the heroes mm-hmm. of the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, the men who outbrewerst the Brewers. Yes, and if yes. no one out pizzas the hut, okay, but you can out beer the beermen. Yes, and that is exactly what happened. Yes, at R.I.P. Miller Park. So, Jordan. Say their names proud. Say oh. their names loud. Use your chest. Joe Mantiply, as you said, 2022 All-Star. Miguel Castro, you got to be feeling good about that one. 
the uh, skinniest of all skin. This dude is the lankiest of lanky. He gets two rounds. Here comes Ryan Nelson, who was not very... He gets one out, allows three hits. But guess what? He still gets a hold because baseball is funny. They don't... <laughs> he'll take hold it. this. Hold, hold this. this. Uh, Ryan Thompson, you mentioned kind of outbrewing the brew. A former Rays reliever who we've seen be an extremely goofy, un, you know, unusual arm slot situation. He gets... Five outs, very impressive, Ryan Thompson. And then Kevin M. F. and Ginkle, who has been awesome for the D-backs, not just this year, but for the last couple. At one point this year, Kevin Ginkle was 9-0 as a reliever, which is hilarious. He really oh, had very few bad outings. And for him to give them two, because as the, once they start coming out of the bullpen here, it's it's just a math problem of like, how are they getting all these outs? The term roadmap to 27 outs is one of my favorites. I don't know which manager popularized it at some point in the last 10 years or so that I remember, but it just always sticks with me. How are we getting 27 outs? And when Fott leaves in the fourth, you're, you, that's just what you're thinking. How are you getting 27 outs? And so that moment when Ginkle comes back out for the eighth, it's like, oh, yes, sure. Let's do two angles from Kevin Ginkle. Two innings from Kevin Ginkle. I love it. It, he gives it, it reminds me, Jordan, of one of my cockamamie, idiotic, logistical plans mm -hmm. of which... I am famous where like it'll be like, well, you know, like my fiance has to take the car, but I would like to have my bike there. The train is delayed. If I walk three miles to the bus stop with my scooter on the bike, can I, you know, like, like this will definitely work. Like this, this will totally this will get work. us to where then, we need to go. Right. It's yes. Like, are you and, sure about that? And Jordan listening to me blabber about that is like, like Jordan okay, watching sure, the dude. Diamondbacks. Right. He's like, all right, like I'll see you there. Like right, the I'll equivalent, right? Being like, like, oh, if you could Jordan's get, like, I'll drive. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, or if you could get like the equivalent of of Tori Lovello truth serum before the game. Hey, Tori, like, what's your plan to get through this game? Yeah, so we're gonna go font for uh, we're gonna go font for eight outs, and then just gonna go <laughs> Mantiply, Castro, Nelson, Thompson, Ginkle for six outs. He'll strike out the side in the eighth, and then Seawall will we'll kind of lock things down. But in the difference, you just say, oh, hey, oh, Jordan, you'll just say, oh, you'll drive. Tori Lovello didn't have a car. So he didn't really have a choice. This is what he had to do. But what he did have is much more than a car. He has a tank going on game for game two. Zach Gallen Whoa. coming in game two against Freddie Peralta, who we thought would be game three. But now he's pressed into action. The last thing I will say about this game, Jake, on top of you know fantastic performances across the board. Christian Walker, by the way, three hits. Some huge swings from him. Um, this game, Jake with a combined 12 pitchers. No, more than that. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14 pitchers appeared in this game, Jake. Yeah. This game only lasted 3 hours and 36 minutes. A pitch clock achievement. Un and, and by the way, it felt like it was taking forever, and yet still, three and a half hours. Totally normal length of a baseball game we used to be used to. And uh, It's amazing. Man. Salute that clock. Salute that clock, baby. Let's take one more quick break because I need to have a sip of caffeine. <laughs> and when we get back, we will talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. I saw them live. Yeah, sure great. did. All right, we'll be right back. Phillies Marlins coming up. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Okay. 
Let's talk about the Phillies. The main character of the playoff story. Let's not dance around the inevitable. Phillies returning to Citizens Bank Park for their first postseason game of the year. The location, the venue that defined last autumn. It was October's home field, even though they only had like, I think, eight games there. Just felt like it. Felt like they were there forever. Mm Mm-hmm. Marlins coming into town, the scrappy, scrappy little Marlins. Could they pull off the upset against the the juggernaut Phillies? Zach Wheeler on the bump? No, they could not. The Phillies merged victorious 4-1 to in a game that felt a lot more lopsided than three runs. I was there. I was in attendance. I watched the whole thing. I took a lot of notes. I wrote two articles about it. It infiltrated my dreams. Jordan, do you have any questions? I mean, it kind of, this was, you could say the Minnesota one went about as expected, but this one was, I so little surprised me about last night's game that, not that it wasn't fun to watch or interesting, but it kind of hit every every beat. Like Lazardo was good enough to keep them in it, but they still managed to get to him in certain moments. And the Marlins did have moments of making it interesting late. The Phillies couldn't quite pull away in a meaningful way. Uh, but that, you know, like you said, like, and, and Wheeler was just tremendous. I mean, Wheeler, not that that was surprising either, especially when he's facing a lineup that is much improved, but still not necessarily the most fearsome postseason lineup you're going to see. So it just, it really just checked every box. I was, I was like, yep, that's how that went. Zach Wheeler is a top five pitcher in the world. He was throwing a full mile an hour harder on his four seamer last night than Mm -hmm. his season average. Mm -hmm. And you could tell he's at his best. The part of the reason why Zach Wheeler is incredible, right? Is because he has two different fastballs. He has the four seamer that rides and rises at the top of the zone. That guys swing under the high spin one. And then he is the sinker that he can kind of bore in on people's hands and get ground balls and we contact early in counts. That makes him both a contact pitcher and a strikeout pitcher at the same time. And that dynamic in a postseason game is vital because mm-hmm. you can get a guy out on two pitches, which keeps your pitch count down, which lets you work deep into the game. And then if you do get into trouble and guys get on, you can reach into the bag and pull out that four-seamer and just tell people to sit the fuck down, right? And yep. that was Zach Wheeler last night. What a remarkable performance. One of the top five pitchers in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marlins offense, Josh Bell's really the only one that that showed up. Um, Solaire. Okay, and- time out. Showed up. Josh Bell. Was Josh Bell's a beast, dude. Yes. And yesterday. Josh Bell came into the game with the most played appearances against Zach Wheeler of any hitter facing a pitcher yesterday and had been crushing him. So he had a lot of experience against Wheeler, and you could tell. Um, I think that when you my my general opinion on pitcher batter matchups history and using that to instruct your lineup or whatever is overrated if we're talking about eight at bats, but if we're talking about 30 at bats, which is what Josh Bell had against Zach Wheeler, I do care about that. And I think that that showed last night. Um, so he was absolutely locked in, but yeah, I mean, Soler and jazz combining for Ofray with five strikeouts batting second and fourth is just not, it's, it's not going to get it done when, when in, in, in a lot of spots now jazz, Jazz had some tough, 
strike calls against him. There was some, there was some, I, and uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about umpiring, but there were definitely some spots there that Jazz uh, got a little bit hosed. But in general, though, th- their offense was just not anywhere close to good enough. And the bottom of the lineup is just not, just not very good. So that's kind of the situation they were in. And when you're facing Wheeler, like it's going to be hard to score runs. Jazz also tossed up one of the worst postseason play appearances I've, I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. which was runner on first base, two outs. You're not going to string hits together against this guy, probably. And he goes bunt attempt, bunt attempt, the, swing and miss strike. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I and I don't know what – that was a very strange <laughs> sequence that I didn't totally understand. Um, so there was just some weird stuff. And, and a rise, clearly compromised, still managed to get a hit. Uh, but he's not moving well, but we expect him to stay yep. in the lineup. So – just whatever it was like it was literally exactly what we talked about the Phillies are a better team it was like the Marlins kind of battled as much as they could but that's that's and Lazardo, I thought Lazardo pitched pretty well the Marlins he did pitch well he he got very fortunate in the first inning his fastball command to the right-handers in the first was bad mm-hmm. he was catching too much plate he, that's what the Schwarber 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 Single was, that's what the Turner double was. He had second and third with nobody out. And he grooves a heater to Alec Bohm. And Bohm just misses it and lines it out to right field where a perfectly positioned uh, corner outfielder is. And so that bails him out. Harper comes up, six consecutive really good sliders. Then he gets Real Muto to pop up to end the inning. After that, his fastball command was a lot better. And he was on, like, the lefties were not going to touch it. When yeah. he, in those middle two, like he was, he looked amazing. Yep, dominated Harper all night, but then he just kind of lost the fastball command again. Started getting too much plate. Left a couple sliders up. I think Bryson Stott was the one who, um, or not Stott, someone he just left a change up in the middle of the plate, and they just crushed it, and it wasn't quite enough on the Phillies' offensive side. The the one surprise from this for me is that they never had the hammer blow. They did not hit a home run. And this is a team with the second most home runs since June, since July 1st, sorry, second most home runs in baseball. And you kind of kept expecting it. Like the crowd there, the buzz of the crowd felt like it was waiting for an Alec Bohm homer or Bryson Stott homer or something where they was just going to explode. That never quite came. It didn't matter. They won the game anyway. But if Philadelphia wants to journey deep into this month, they will need the long ball to help carry. Them. I agree. I agree. And I, again, credit to the Marlins pitching and the, the relievers that came in there. Yeah. Uh, I think an underrated group, but, but the, the thing that does stand out just about the box score, every Philly got a hit, right? They have 11 yeah. hits. Everyone in the lineup gets at least one. Um, so that was impressive. Trey Turner, two more steals without being caught was also yep. impressive. Uh, but yeah, and you know, a, a, a moment of Kimbrel panic at the end, but generally uh, it was, it was pretty smooth sailing. That's just how we do things yep. here, here in Philadelphia. You know, Craig yeah. Campbell coming in, going to give up some hits, baby, a lot of some base runs. Um, two other topics before we say goodbye to the Phillies for today. Yep. Um, Reese Hoskins' first pitch. I yep. wrote about it at Fox Sports. It was incredibly touching, not just because, like, let me just, I guess I'll just build the context here. Hoskins, right, beloved figure, Philly cult hero, the longest tenured position player, the only hitter who was on just those horrible Phillies teams, the lifeless failed rebuild clubs of the late 2010s. He endures. He has an incredible October last year with clutch homers and is just a very interesting figure. Comes into this season, the last year of his deal 
as a Philly, likely to leave at the end of the year just because of the roster construction of this team right now, right? And his ACL goes kablooey. And it's just, it's just a huge bummer. Fights back. He's rehabbing. I think it's very unlikely he will play in the World Series. However, he needed to set that goal for himself. And for him to have this moment yesterday was very touching. Because Jordan, that might be it. That might be what we saw yesterday, the last time Reese Hoskins wears the Phillies uniform at Citizens Bank Park. And so for him to go out there and get that moment wasn't just to pump up the crowd. It was a chance to say goodbye to him because he is headed down to Florida to continue his rehab. Now, he will not be around the team for a couple of weeks if they continue to win games and win series. He'll return at some point down the line if he's healthy enough. But like. This was probably goodbye to Reese Hoskins for Philadelphia. And I think the crowd realized that slowly over the course of him throwing out the first pitch, which was very mm. cool, very touching. And he's like pointing to the Phillies logo on his chest, which is also like over his heart. And it, it was just threw it to Schwarber. It was perfect. They did the whole thing very well. What I wrote about at Fox was he was actually initially resistant to do it. They asked him to do it about a week ago. And he said no. And he, he didn't want to, this is what he said, he didn't want to make it about himself. And so like the Phillies kept pushing him. We're like, come on, do it. And so he started asking manager Rob Thompson and some of the other teammates. And they were like, you don't want to make this about yourself. You idiot. Go do it if you want to do it. Like if you want to do it, it's, it's not about Reese Hoskins making it about himself. And Reese was like, you know what? I, like these guys have been working in here all year. I'm like, Reese, you, you blew your leg out. Like you've been rehabbing. You've been working hard. Like it doesn't. It was just a hilarious thing. And so I'm happy that the Phillies convinced him to do it and that he was able to have this moment. Hopefully he comes back. I'm skeptical that he's going to make that happen. Um, but it was very amazing to have him have that whole thing yesterday. Yeah. He put in the work with that that 17 and 18 team too. <laughs> he didn't have to apologize for anything. He earned so. it. Right. That's what yeah. Kyle Schwarber said to me. He was like, like what do you what do you think? Like what, what, like what, what you think we're going to, if Reese Hoskins comes to us and they're like, and he's like, the Phillies want me to throw out the first pitch. Should I do it? You think Kyle Schwarber's going to be like, actually that would look really selfish. You know, like that's not how that's going to play. It was just very adorable. Yes. Uh, second thing to talk about is the Nick Castellanos middle finger, not middle yes. finger thing. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my, the best part about it is. Actually, let's okay, explain. He gets to second base. It's a normal double celebration. Guys get a second base and they look back towards their dugout and they make a funny gesture or they do a funny dance or they do whatever, right? That's that's baseball. Nick Castellanos. And the Phillies, and the Phillies have one. Right. They have this like big balls thing <laughs> that they do. We've seen versions of this one before, yes. Yeah. But um, Nick Castellanos decided to go rogue and essentially just do something that – my understanding is that after the game, he basically said he just did completely spontaneously, which is to put up his ring finger – and point it towards the dugout. However, when you're wearing red batting gloves, <laughs> uh, and you know they're not super zoomed in on you on television, it just looks like you're flicking off your teammates, which obviously makes zero sense whatsoever. But because the internet is the internet, and because some people are quick to assume things, uh, people are just like, oh, ha, 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 look, Nick Cousin's flipping off his dugout, right? It's like, okay, but like this is a great example of Think about this for three more seconds, right? 
just three more seconds and then maybe you could arrive at the correct conclusion. <laughs> I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. It looked like he was flipping off his dugout. It I know did. he's it like, I want a ring on my finger. I want to win a World Series or whatever. It was great. But it does look like he's flipping off the dugout. Like, here's here's my no, it, it totally does. It totally does. And we we get the HD photo from MLB. They tweet out ESPN totally botches it, whatever. My question is, not to take this celebration too seriously. I feel like this is the one you break out like in the World Series up three to one. <laughs> Jordan, you are giving Nick Cassia like Nick Cassianos did not wake up yesterday and was like, here's what I'm gonna do. Okay? No, no, no I know. But that's this- that's the funniest part. That's I I a hundred percent. Like he's the only person that would be willing to do this spontaneously in a way that like we've literally seen people do it in championship games up by 20 points, right? But uh, that's why it's so great. Doing it in the first postseason game of so however many that you need to win, 12, 16 that you need to win 13, or 15 that you need 13, to win 13. is so great. I love that. Love that energy. Nick Castellanos forever. Today, Aaron Ola going to the hill against Braxton Garrett for the Marlins. Could be Nola's last home postseason start. Probably not. I think he will probably throw game three if they win in the next round, which will allow him to start at home again. He is a free agent at the end of the year. He is the longest tenured Philly, been here even longer than Reese. Mm-hmm. He has been shaky for long stretches of the season. His last two starts of the regular season were very good, looked more like himself. And he doesn't need to be perfect. He just needs, you don't have to be faster than the bear, Jordan. You just have to be faster than Braxton Garrett. And Braxton Garrett got blasted in his final start of the regular season against the Mets. I think the Phillies will win it today. I think I will get to take a train tomorrow and sleep in my own bed, which I don't want to complain. It's literally the fucking second day of October. But anytime you can you know, spend time with your loved ones during this wild month, take those opportunities, Mr. Schuster. It's true. It's true. So we will see. Maybe there is a, a plot twist in store, but that is generally where I see this series going as well. You get 30 seconds on Jerry DePoto. I'm starting the clock, and it begins right now. Mariners had an end-of-season press conference. It wasn't live-streamed because MLB doesn't want these these press conferences to be a distraction during the postseason. Whoops! Jerry DePoto decided to say, we have a 10-year plan where we want to win 54% of our games over 10 years, and that's what's important. And we are doing the fan base a favor by considering sustainability and building towards the World Series instead of trying to go all out. Here's the thing. He, all-time example of saying the quiet part out loud. There are all kinds of GMs that think this way. None of them speak enough publicly and recklessly enough to do to say this publicly. Is this mindset a thing that happens in other front offices? Yes. Is this a thing that makes any sense to say at the end of your very disappointing season? No, not at all. It was disappointing from my perspective, and but I also don't want to make too much of it because it's just sorry. That's GM speak, and that's probably how they're thinking. If you're trying to figure out what 10 years he's talking about, you're wasting your time. That's not relevant. The point is, if you want to dunk on it, I get it. But unfortunately, this is how a lot of GMs think. So not the right message, though, towards the fan base. And that was definitely disappointing. Bad feel, insulting, patronizing. As fans of Jerry DePoto, he's been on this show before. It was a bad look. Bad look. And not just bad look, but in my opinion, bad process. Jordan... That's enough on Jerry D in the month of October. And that is our show. We will be back whenever this series ends. It might be tomorrow night. It might be Friday morning. It might be both. We don't know. We'll figure it out. 
Yes. Our general plan is like, if we get a bunch of sweeps today, you'll hear from us Thursday morning. If not, we will adjust accordingly. You will definitely get a DS preview from us on Friday and maybe another podcast before then. But until then, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris Tyler, for producing. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for waking up early and recording this with me. We hope you all enjoyed. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast. We appreciate the support. Plenty more coming all month long. Enjoy the game twos. We will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Serious XM Podcasts.